I wanted to talk tonight about what are commonly known as the four messengers or the four passing sites. And the reason they popped into my mind is I, I think many of you know that I went away last weekend out um, up to the Eastern Sierra here in California with a, with some friends because uh, a friend of ours, um, folks we used to go camping with for years and years and years, uh, this one couple, the husband passed away a couple of years ago and the wife uh, wanted to throw his ashes in the river where we used to camp. And so a few of us were did that. And we sat around on Saturday, and we hadn't been together in a really long time, years. And we used to do go out there camping for decades, literally from the from the mid '80s until maybe about 10 years ago. Although my husband and I still go out there, it's, we just we are usually by ourselves. And um, so we did that. And the, I don't know if I told you, but my friend Jan gave us each our own little baggie of Nelson. So we each had got a chance to do whatever we wanted to do with Nelson. So that was that was really sweet. And then the Monday I got I woke up and I felt I think the word is melancholy. It's that um, it's that reflection on the pa- reflection on impermanence on the passage of time and those days were fun but they're gone and the death and and just being with that is you know that 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 world that we exist in things change things pass and so had that sense of um melancholy loss sadness um it wasn't it wasn't unbearable i used to get i used to go into great oh my god kinds of places but this was just this was just the sensation that came up and i was able to be with it like the instructions and the the um the meditation just to receive what was coming up and then um so that was one part of it and then later this week i read an article um on lions roar online um this woman and league who wrote she wrote american dharma a couple of years ago and she wrote a, an article about um there needing to be a fifth messenger. Well, she talked talked about the four passing sites, and she said there should be a fifth one, uh, which is injustice. And I'll talk about that too. So that spurred me on. So that that's that's um, that's kind of why I thought I'd I'd land on this because it's 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 real. I mean, it's part of our existence. This idea of the messengers and. So for those of you who don't know, the story is, although I think you probably all do, the story is that the Buddha was, and this is a myth, it's not It's not like this in the suttas. It, there's no, this is how it is. There's bits and pieces, and then probably this myth evolved over time, but it's not exactly like this in any sutta. So the Buddha was born into a, a, a well-to-do family, which is true. And he, it was said that um, a wise man told his father that he would either be a great warrior or a great spiritual leader or a great, you know, a great um, secular leader of, of the land or a spiritual um, a teacher. And so his dad said, I don't want to go that spiritual route. I want him to be, you know, a leader of our, of our clan. 
And so he protected him from um, anything that wasn't awesome. So he would say, wow, this is an awesome life. I'm going to be here. And then um, the story goes when he was 29, he he went out a few times with an attendant and saw for the first time um, a sick person, an, uh, an old person, and a corpse. And then he saw a, um, uh, a wise man. Uh, someone who was uh, who had gone forth and was practicing to find the end of suffering or see the nature of suffering in whatever this wise person was doing. And so that that woke him up to the reality and then he left his family and took off. And so what the that that's handed down and it's often said that these were, you know, the Buddha's uh, uh, wake up call to suffering then that, you know, the first noble truth is birth is suffering, death is suffering, you know, losing what we what we have um, being take separated from things we love are, is suffering. So it's kind of the foundation of the the first noble truth. And that was his impetus to go off into um, um, uh, a life of renunciation. And he worked with some other teachers for a few years, realized that what they were doing was kind of pointless. It didn't lead anywhere. And then he sat by himself under the Bodhi tree until he was enlightened, until he saw the nature of suffering, which is clinging and craving. So um, this is... In as I said, there's pieces of this, and it's interesting. There's some some suttas, um, um, some Chinese suttas, and other suttas have there being five um, messengers or sites, where including a baby laying in its own excrement, being helpful. So their birth is suffering. Um, others have um, uh, a, a robber who is being punished for his crimes. So that's kind of an idea of karma. So there's there's all kinds of facets to this, but we're but all of them point to the importance of being aware of the realities of samsara, of being aware of the realities of life. And in one of the suttas, Buddha talks about um, in the Majjhima Nikaya, which is from the Pali Canon, he talks about un, un, uninstructed worldlings, and when they see sickness and aging and death he says what when a when um a run-of-the-mill person those are folks who are still um have a lot of dust in their eyes when run-of-the-mill person sees aging or death he is horrified humiliated and disgusted oblivious to himself that he is too subject to these things and the buddha says as i notice this um when I saw this, the truth of birth and death and aging and sickness, he said, a young person's intoxication with youth or immortality or whatever, um, perfect health just dropped away. He said that myth of immortality dropped away. That myth of youth dropped away. So the Buddha said that when he saw these things, he woke up. So that is what the teaching of this is, is to wake up to the reality um, of what's going on. Because what tends to happen is that we see what's really going on 
And this disgust, to use the, the words of the Buddha, this, this disgust can drive us back into delusion or this quest for pleasure, this denial of reality. Because um, who wants to face that stuff? Who absolutely wants to face that stuff? In fact, he says, um, the spurs to awakening press in on us from all sides, yet too often, instead of acknowledging them, we respond by simply by putting on another layer of clothes to protect ourselves from their sting. This is Bhikkhu Bodhi. Or he says, imagining ourselves immortal and the world our personal playground, we devote our energies to the accumulation of wealth, the enjoyment of sensual pleasures, and the achievement of status, the quest for fame and renown. So instead of waking up to the reality, we double down on craving. We double down on, on covering it up and fixing. We buy more product, we get more um, Botox, we, we take more vitamins, we do whatever, we accumulate more to keep us you know, from the reality of what's really going on. And, um, but these messengers should jolt us into awareness. And you've seen it, and it's it's so easy to ignore it. I mean, it's it's so easy to, to the mind just takes um, a. It's the mind is amazing. A, we have a negativity bias, which we helps us imagine the worst. You know that story. If you have a hundred people and ninety nine like you and one doesn't, then you're focused on the one. That's the negativity bias. But we also have this other type of bias where we just discount reality. You know, I can still think I'm immortal, even though I know I'm not. The mind just kind of like, well, blah 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 blah, and it's like, yeah, reality, no. And so there is aging. And that was the thing, because when we first started hanging out together camping, I was 30 years old. I'm not 30 anymore. Not, I haven't been 30 for a long time. So to acknowledge that and to say hello, you know, that's what we learn in, in, on the cushion, to say hello to the reality, say hello to the gray hair, or if you meet my husband, to the no hair. Um so it's it's um, it's a, an invitation to wake up. And the word that I love that when they talk about this is samvega. I just love that word. It's I, I don't know. I just like the sound of it. And my translation of it, there's not a real good one one or two word translation for samvega. My translation is, oh, shit, everything's real. It's like, Oh, my goodness. It's like when the Buddha saw these people, um, you know, he saw the the aged person and the sick person and the dying person. He woke up and said, oh, this is suffering. How, what's the how do we let go of this? And and um, how do we find what is his, his teaching is the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. That's that's what he teaches. It, it gives some Vega gives us a sense of urgency which drives us to change the mental habits habits and break free from the trance, break free from this, this trance we have with immortality and youth and um, uh, sickness, all the things that, um, that beset us. And what Samvega does, and when we wake up to the reality of these things, you can't unsee them. You know, it's like when you've seen something and now it's like, I can't deny this anymore. Denial is really strong 
And then when you have that aha moment, you have that insight, then hopefully you let the denial, the delusion pass. And what it does is it inspires us to move towards um, working with these things, getting rid of our, our delusions, getting rid of our clinging, living a life of, um, what does the Analio say? Analio talks about this too. He says, seeing these messengers is a call to an ethical life where we're no longer clinging to pleasure. You know, we start practicing renunciation. We let go of those things. The idea that um, if we take more vitamins or we date somebody that looks a certain way or we accumulate or even, you know, it's, and that's the easy examples to point to, but we have them in our own life because of our conditioning and how we were brought up. Different things have a different importance to each of us. So most of us here are not chasing the shiny, shiny house on the hill. I'm sure that's true, but there are other things we look at. There are other measures. Like if I can still do a headstand in yoga, that means I'm, I'm still far away from death. Yet I can walk out and get hit by a car. You know, that's, 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 that can happen. So to, okay. You know what? Also, I didn't even realize it. If you see, I have this shirt called Alabama. It's, it's not called Alabama, but my shirt says Alabama Roll Tide. Um, I worked for a person, my boss, and some of you have heard this story. My boss that I worked for my last uh, job at Xerox, um, he lived in Alabama. He was from Alabama, outside Birmingham. And 10 years ago, I just, I, it was 10 years ago um, this summer or this spring, he and his wife and his daughter and their dog and their cat died of carbon monoxide poisoning. The car got left running and they had a, the, the garage was below and it was like a multi-level house and, and they all died. That can happen. And I didn't even realize that when I put on, put this shirt on. And so I went to his funeral because I just, I adored him. He and I were really, really close. And I went to, I went to Alabama for the funeral and I stopped at a Kmart and I bought a couple of t-shirts that said roll tide because that was, he said, it's Alabama. We don't have anything else. I mean, so he was like college football. Um, so I remember him when I wear this shirt. And I'm also, um, I see that I cling to the idea that I have to tell people I'm not from Alabama. So I'm from New York. I'm not from Alabama. It's, it's weird. So anyway, but that's, that's in memory of him. And so that's, we never know. So this shifting, when we see this, we shift, hopefully, we can shift out of this 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 world that's this life that's driven by greed and aversion and move into a more ethical life that's that's what triggered the buddha's path to finding the eightfold path this this life of integrity this life of renunciation and not not necessarily being an aesthetic but being a person who's aware that this stuff doesn't bring joy this clinging, this chasing doesn't bring joy. And can I let go of that, letting go of anything that doesn't bring joy? 
and even chasing shiny objects. When we get a shiny object, we're, we're happy for perhaps a moment, and it's not because the shiny object brings us joy, but because we're done with the chasing, we're done with the craving. And then there'll be some craving for something else. So to be aware of that, so letting go of the craving, period, is where this contentment and this joy comes in. And you get to um, uh, what Bhikkhu Bodhi says, uh, the, un, the unaging, the unailing, the deathless. We get to Nibbana. That's, that's what the teaching is. We let go of everything and there's no more clinging, there's no more birth, there's no more, no more death. So, And I think it's especially important right now, A, there's the pandemic, um, there's all this loss, but I was also reminded this week that we have, I don't know if normal is the way to say it, but we have, even if, take away the pandemic, take away the political um, um, uh, stuff that's going on, upheaval, take away the, the, the uprisings, the racial uprisings, and you still have life. You know, go back, you still have people dying, you still have people being born, you still have loss, you still have gain, you still have pleasure, you still have pain, there's still wins and losses, that continues, that continues whether there's a pandemic or there's not a pandemic. So to recognize that that this mundane continuity of, of life and death just is always there and getting rid of the pandemic or getting rid of a president or getting rid of or getting to a place of racial equality and ending systemic oppression is not going to bring that. But we have to pay attention to it anyway. And this this kind of brings me to Anne Gleig's article where she talks about the fifth sight, the suffering of injustice, which I really like how she framed it. You know, there's birth is suffering, death is suffering, aging um, is suffering. But she talks about um, the suffering of injustice, the suffering caused by racism, sexism, poverty, all forms of human injustice. You know, when we see this and when we see the suffering that's caused by this so often it's and it's driven by the 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 defilements it's driven by greed it's driven by hatred it's driven by delusion absolutely these are the underpinnings but we have to wake up to this we have to see the suffering caused by this greed this hatred and delusion that it's another call to seeing clearly what's actually happening you know and again um, being willing to not go back and go away. It is so easy for us to say, because a lot of this stuff doesn't impact me personally. My life is, um, my life is okay. Of course, there's the, the upheaval from the pandemic and things like that. But overall, this white, middle-class woman is not impacted by a lot of these things. Uh, that's some privilege I have, but I have to, I can't ignore the suffering. It's so easy to ignore the suffering, but I can't ignore the suffering. It's really important. Um, and what was real interesting, it's important, I say, not to fall back into heedlessness. It's important to have that idea of some vega around this too. Oh, shit, this is real. Um, 
so we can move towards uh, dismantling these structures if we really believe in um, the end of suffering for all sentient beings we have to work towards ending that suffering and then yesterday morning I was on Facebook for, I was on Facebook and I got a notice that Roshi Joan Halifax was doing a Facebook live through tricycle and I went oh what's Roshi I love her so I clicked onto that and she was talking about this this stuff too because that's how it works. And if you're ever on, if you're on Facebook, you, you can go to Tricycle, the Tricycle, just search for Tricycle and they have talks and hers is right at the top. And she was talking about engaged, uh, engaged Buddhism and um, it was really good in social action. And she talked about, you know, there's so many Dharma doors. They're like, I think the Dalai Lama said there's like 84,000 Dharma doors. And those are the, that's what is how, um, you access the Dharma. There, there are all these ways that people come to this practice. And that's why the Buddha taught in the, in the language of the people, the vernacular, because one size doesn't fit all, which is, I think, the beauty of these teachings. And so she said one of the, one of the um, Dharma doors is contemplative practice, which is really very important. But there's also this awareness, this social awareness. That's another practice. And that's what's, that's what's driven her her whole life. And she said, and she said there's two streams of this social uh, engagement. And she said there's social care, which is, I think that's the word she used or the term she used, but um, like working with the dying and working in prisons and, and working with disenfranchised populations. And that's a way, because there's a lot of Dharma in prison and there's a lot of, you know, being with dying. The San Francisco Zen Center has a, has a, um, a hospice program. I think they started in the 80s with the AIDS crisis. And so that's a way of bringing this practice to end suffering. But then she said the other side is the engaged Buddhism. She was first introduced to Thich Nhat Hanh in the 60s, and then he became her teacher in the 80s. And she learned a lot from him about being engaged in this work and this call to activism. And, you know, she talked about the Buddha being a revolutionary, which he very much was because everyone was um able to uh, wake up it wasn't uh, only available to the brahmins you know he he kind of dismissed the class system the caste excuse me the caste system which is extraordinary if you think about it because that it what i don't think it was as embedded as it is today but it was real and so he said you know even anybody is welcome to awaken he let women in to um you know, he, he, his, his stepmom and other women, the, there's a lot of early women who were enlightened, who were awakened, who reached Nirvana. So it was open to all, which was really going against the grain of the time. So that was kind of radical. And he would poke and prod um, political leaders as well. So it's really important um, to recognize that this is a long tradition within Buddhism. And then King Ashoka, who lived a few a few hundred years after the Buddha, saw the, the destruction caused by war. And he put a lot of, and he said, no, we can't have that anymore. And he put a lot of social programs into uh, effect. Um, so it's a long tradition of thousands of years uh, in Buddhism of being engaged. 
because there's a lot of conversation right now about no, 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 we can't do that. Absolutely can't do that. And we just have to sit on the cushion. There's also alt-right Buddhists. Anne Gleed, this woman, she's a she's a, the woman who wrote the article about the fifth site. She's a, a professor at the University of Central Florida, and she's she's been posting things about that, and it's it's mind boggling. Um, so, Joan Halifax also talked about the mindfulness trainings of um, Thich Nhat Hanh, and the ninth one. I think there's fourteen now. And they're loosely based on the precepts, but they go into much greater detail. I often talk about the fifth mindfulness training being be careful what you ingest, including not just intoxicants, but what you read, what you listen to, really guard your sense doors around that. But the, the ninth one is about wise and, and careful speech, wise and loving speech. And it's there are big paragraphs. And the last line of this says, we will do our best to speak about situations of injustice, even when doing so may make difficulties for us or threaten our safety. I love that. We will do our best to speak about situations of injustice, even when doing so may make difficulties for us or threaten our safety. So this is a call to end suffering this particular type of suffering that we're that's kind of like in our face right now and um and i and i see it aligned so beautifully with this buddhist teaching of suffering you know sickness old age death driven by you know the denial of that is driven driven by greed and hatred and aversion delusion and so there's this this um Suffering of injustice is also part of it. So I like that reframing of it. And um, uh, I hope you'll you'll take something away from this that is um, you can, I won't say gnaw on, but reflect on, um, you know, the the basic message of these messengers is to be aware of the predicaments of human life. And our, the invitation is to work towards ending suffering, ending suffering wherever we see it, whether it's here, whether it's there, whether it's upside down, whether it's inside out, whatever it is. So um, those are my thoughts on this traditional teaching of the messengers and with this extra little added oomph of the um, um, the fifth messenger or the fifth site, the fifth passing site. So with that, I'm happy to uh, see if anyone has any questions or comments, if this makes sense or not. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystankavich.org backslash support. Thank you.